Well, welcome to another episode of She Speaks Stories. I'm Portia. And this is Sometimes Gwen. We're mixing it up a little bit for everybody today, but we are excited for our guest, Gwen, who's with us today. Today we have with us Danette High. And I met Danette probably about, oh, two or three weeks ago. Uh, she is a good friend of our good friend, Cassett, um, uh, who you love, love, love listening to. She's mm-hmm. one of our most popular episodes. Yeah. Uh, Danette uh, has lived abroad for 26 years in Bolivia and India and the Philippines. She's a consultant and credentialed coach. She freelances in editing and writing. She wrote this Bible study, uh, uh, a refugee Bible study, and we are so happy to welcome her to She Speaks Stories today. Welcome. Welcome, 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 Danette. How are you today? I'm happy to be here with you all. I'm so excited. I've never been on a podcast. Hooray! (laughs) I'm so glad that we get to be your first. That's going to be This will be fun. Okay, okay. Listeners, you can't see Danette, but we can. And y'all, let me tell you what a beautiful woman that is sitting in front of us this morning. And so, Danette, we just want to jump right in and hear your story. And specifically, um, in talking with Gwen, we know that there's some significance in your early story. So tell us about your early story. You know, I was one of these lucky young people who got to come up in church from when I was a child. And I used to think that made for a really boring story because I didn't have any powerful before and after. But now I know what I was, in a sense, saved from. Um, And that, uh, you know, my life didn't end up being dictated by hard things. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, I ended up, though, on kind of a super achiever path. Um, you know, like, like many of us, right. Yeah, you know, faithful in the youth group and, um, getting involved in missions in college and, uh, all kinds of student ministry things. And, um, I, you know, I worked really hard to mm-hmm. be good at being a Christian mm-hmm. and, but God was using all of that. Um, I remember one summer it was during college. I got to leave the South for the first time. And I went up to South Dakota for summer missions and um, I wasn't very good at it, but God placed this woman there, a young woman. She was actually, you know, someone who was older ahead of me in college, Malia. And I learned so much from her and God was just using people along the way to mentor me in really cool ways. Um, I remember a summer I was ended up in Jamaica and it was my first time to leave the U S and my first time to see people who were not as well off as I was. And I remember riding around in that big old city thinking, I could live in a place like that. Wow. And it was like, whoa, where'd that come from? That wasn't me. Right. And um, I was, God was teaching me how to listen to him. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, and sure enough, the next summer, I found myself in Manila, Philippines a city of like 12 million people. And I was a small town Oklahoma girl. And um, that's where I really got my first exposure to overseas missions. And I was mentored by a wonderful woman that I'm still in touch with today out in Alabama. And um, I spent those two years there and it was just missions was digging into my heart, y'all. I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to stop. 
So I went to seminary in Texas, and um, that's where I I didn't meet my husband there because I met he had spent two years while I was in the Philippines. He was in Brazil, but we ended up there in Texas, and uh, that's where we ended up getting married. And he is the kindest, most encouraging man you could ever meet. And all uh, these years, you know, he is how long have you been says uh, thirty. 33 years. Wow. Amazing. I love wow. it. I love it. And he is a guy who says, let's go. And um, that's just been a, that's just been a fun way to spend a life. <laughs> and so anyway, we spent about, we spent most of our married life um, living and working overseas and getting to do all the things we love, like plant churches and train people and, mentor young missionaries and tell God's story mm. in South America and South Asia. Wow. How, I know that you love stories. What is it about stories that has just grabbed your attention in your heart that that's how you see life? Well, Thomas and I, we went to Bolivia. Okay. Um, that was our first place we landed. And I was probably 31 and there was a new tribe of missionary there who was taking a, a week-long workshop to mm-hmm. talk us through the Bible. It was just story after story. Imagine a whole week oh, wow. uh, of just hearing it like that. And at the end of the week, I was just like, I was so mad because I'm thinking, how is it that I could grow up in the church and even go to seminary and not get that this was like one big story about God? Wow. Mm-hmm. I guess I just picked it apart so much, you know, I learned about the kings and then I learned about the prophets, not thinking like, hey, those prophets were talking to those kings. And so <laughs> it just kind of, I don't want to say it dawned on me because I was definitely a believer already. But right. for the first time I saw that God did this. Wow. And wow. if he did it all, there's not a thing I could do to earn it then why was I working so hard for my salvation? You better say that. I knew I was already, I knew I was following him. Yeah. And that he had me, but I was working really hard, y'all. Wow. And so that was so, seeing the whole story in one. Mm. It just, wow. Was that early in your time in Bolivia or had you been there for a while before this story Uh, happened? I guess I'd only been there about a year. Okay. Uh, Had two little kids and, it was kind of a wonder I got to spend a whole week doing that. And, um, but it was an amazing experience for me to, I'm glad it happened early mm-hmm. in my time overseas. Right. Because it changed, changed the way I worked. Right. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it just kind of blows my mind that your overview of story or, you know, how God gave you that insight into that. And put you in the right place in the right time to experience how that changed the way you live out the rest of your walk with God here on earth. Mm-hmm. That it's yeah. no longer um, works almost, you know, but it's God, you are so big. Mm-hmm. And just seeing that bigness, I don't, I can. I can walk now in faith without anything entangling me. Um, isn't that amazing? I just think that's amazing. 
I love that. You, you said earlier that you were on a super achievement path. That you encountered story. How did those two things work out for you? Well, you know, I still fall back into super achiever now and then because it's just my personality. <laughs> right. There's a, there is a freedom in grace mm, uh, that, that we forget about. Yeah. And uh, just I go back to that big story so often just to remind myself that it is not my story. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I'm so thankful. I, love I don't even remember that man's name who taught it, but whew, it was good. <laughs> and the cool thing is I got to tell stories from then on. That's pretty much the way okay. I taught and, and led people with their stories. And um, God was also starting to teach me through the stories of others. Wow. And so there I was. We were starting churches, and we, you know, we didn't really know anything. And we were working with some amazing Bolivian families. And they were teaching me more than I was teaching them. Um, mm. There was a lady named Marinella, and we were starting a church on her porch. And uh-huh. we would go out every week and visit the women in the neighborhood. And she taught me how to, how to do that in another culture, in another language. And she just did it so well. And I just followed after her like a puppy, just <laughs> whatever she did, I would do. We had such a sweet time together. I remember one time our son was going to have surgery. He was just two months old. It wasn't serious surgery, but it's your son. It's serious. So no one had cell phones and and most of our friends didn't have phones anyway. So we drove over to this couple's house to tell them we were going to be in the hospital the next day and weren't going to be at church on the porch. And um, they just, they didn't say, okay, thanks for letting us know. They said, wait just a minute. And they they got out chairs and they brought us something to drink and said, we're going to pray for your son right now. Wow. And uh, that's how they were teaching me. Yeah. And here, here I thought we were going to teach them and they were teaching me. And so to get to walk with women like that, that is so cool. I love that. Um, from, from that porch, one of the ladies and her husband went to another neighborhood. And um, well, we followed them to start another church. Um, because the porch church was thriving pretty well. And it, interestingly, I didn't, you know, I, there were a lot of things I didn't know about, but they had purchased some property that turned out that the person who sold it, it wasn't really theirs to sell. Oh. And it was, uh, it, it was affecting the whole neighborhood. It was, they were going to try to, and I guess nowadays we'd probably call that squatting, but right, right. <laughs> that, that's really a rougher word than what was really happening. And they were deceived and cheated and bless their hearts. Anyway, so I found out that the police were coming one day and I was asking my husband, goodness, should I go over there? What should I do? You know, do I need to be, be with my friend? And I finally decided that they didn't need a foreign woman in the middle of all that. <laughs> but getting to talk to her afterwards. Some of the neighbors were yelling at the police about, um, you know, get trying to get them to go away. And I found out that my friend, she invited the policeman to sit down and brought him some water. Wow. And I thought, wow, those are the kind of people that I was learning from and, and growing with. Right. It was a privilege. Uh, how many people were in this porch church? The porch church, uh, you know, by the time... We left to go to the other church. There's probably 30 or 40 people. Yeah. Oh, my you know, goodness. Porch, porch becomes yard. You know, you do something. Right. Right. It's kind of 
kind of an outside kind of a culture where we were living. So it, we didn't really need anything else. They later moved into a building. It's still a really thriving church. I love that. That's what I uh, yeah. from you, that it was just a thriving community of people coming together. Yeah, it's the people. It's the people. Uh, then in the middle of all that, we, you know, we, we did work in Spanish for five, six years with these amazing people. Mm-hmm. And there came a point where we both felt like God was wanting us to go. We kind of joke a second mile. Mm-hmm. And we were both kind of having this second mile thinking. And I'm thinking, I thought we were already on the second mile. Wow. And, um, but we were both really open. And it, uh, we kind of call it a divine restlessness. We knew something different was going to happen. We just didn't know what. Sure. And uh, what it turned out to be was God was asking us to not move to a different town, mm-hmm. but to learn a second language after Spanish. Wow. And um, that was hard. Yeah. To learn another language. We never not we never got great in it, but uh once you start learning another language, you realize there's all kinds of people around you who speak that language. And we were just they were invisible to us. And so they became oh. our, our second mile. Mm-hmm. And um <laughs> God gave me this really cool friend, Elizabeth, who was helping me learn yes. to speak Quechua. And um we would meet together every every week to go over different lessons. And I said, what I really want to do is learn to tell stories. Mm -hmm. So we began working together so I could learn the stories. Well, of course, she's a native Quechua speaker and she spoke a lot better than I did. So she helped me learn them. But every Friday night we went out to this Quechua neighborhood and she Mm -hmm. told the stories and I listened Mm -hmm. and participated as much as I could. But um, seeing God work, through her was amazing. Mm-hmm. And the way he opened up doors into homes for us to tell God's story was so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was one house we went to and uh, we had told, I guess we had gone four or five times mm-hmm. and we got there one day and the man said, ever since y'all been telling me these stories, my life's been awful. Ooh. And I got to thinking, <laughs> well, this is great. It's our probably last time here. But he said, he was telling about getting drunk and wrecking his truck and all this stuff. And then he said, and then I had this dream and God, this lady in my dream told me I better listen because this could be my last chance to know the truth. He said, so I just got out of bed and prayed that God would take over my life. Wow. (laughs) So, you know, we don't really tell up to like Cain and Abel. And so it was God. <laughs> yeah, that, God saying, "This isn't about what you're telling him. I've got this." Yeah. You know, oh, yes. Uh, what you were saying. So, this is God's story. He's grabbing he's people there. every which way. Every which way, because we hadn't even told him hardly anything about Jesus. We were still in the Old Testament, so that had to be God. And it was it was a really good thing for me to learn. Um. We, we told stories in several homes, and one of the things that really impacted me was finding out that in the Quechua language, there was no word for forgiveness. Oh, yeah. The whole culture was based on what, you know, we, I think we in the West kind of fondly call karma, you know, you get what you deserve. And if you are good, you get good. And if you're bad, you get bad. And most religions around the world are based on that kind of system, you know. Right. And um, so we thought, how do we just 
tell them what forgiveness is? Do we just keep borrowing the Spanish word and throwing it in all the time? And we just decided one of the best stories for forgiveness was the story of Joseph. Okay. Now, we told it over several weeks, but just to, it, it's just one of my all time, it is my favorite Old Testament story. <laughs> And I'm sure you know it. It's you know you've heard about Joseph's coat of many colors, or you know his brothers who were mean to him. But I'll just tell it to you, just for your listeners who oh. might not know it. Um, there was a man named Jacob, and he had twelve sons. And Joseph was really his favorite son. And the Bible says that Joseph Jacob gave him a really nice coat. And of course, the brothers didn't like this. Mm-hmm. And Joseph also had these dreams. And in one of the dreams, he told his brothers that the dream revealed he was one day going to rule over his brothers and his father. So they just hated him even more after that. And one day, Jacob had sent the brothers out to take care of the sheep. And later, he sent Joseph out to check on them. And when um, those brothers saw Joseph come, and they said, here comes that dreamer. Let's just get rid of him once and for all. And so they took Joseph and threw him down into a dry well. But they saw opportunity coming when a bunch of traders from Egypt came along. And they said, let's get Joseph and sell them. Sell him to these traders. And so that's what they did. They pulled Joseph out of the well, sold him to the traders. They took his coat, smeared animal blood on it, showed it to his father, who was just distraught. He couldn't be consoled. He just knew that Joseph had surely died. Well, meanwhile, Joseph gets sold over in Egypt and ends up in the household of a really important official of king. But God was with him. And even in that household, he ended up being put in charge of everything. And um, he was very trusted. Well, this official's wife took notice of Joseph. And pretty soon she was after him every day to sleep with her. And he always said, no, he said, I can't go against my master. I can't sin against God by doing this. Mm -hmm. She just kept after him. And finally, one day when he was kind of fleeing her advances, she grabbed his coat off into her hand. Mm -hmm. And when her husband got home, she complained about the slave. He said, your slave today tried to rape me. Mm -hmm. And that official had Joseph thrown into prison. Mm -hmm. Well, even in prison, God was with Joseph, Mm -hmm. and he ends up in charge of everything there. Mm -hmm. And so he's in in charge of all the other prisoners. And one day there was a prisoner who'd had a terrible dream. Mm -hmm. And so he came to Joseph and told him the dream and asked him to tell him what it meant. But Joseph said, well, I can't tell you what it means, but God can. And so he told that this guy had been a servant of the king, so he told him what, what it meant. And that servant ended up being released from prison. And Joseph said, hey, when you get out, please tell the king that I'm in here for something I didn't do. But the servant gets out, forgets to tell the king, and Joseph sat in prison for two more years. Well, one day it was the king himself who had a really troubling dream. And he went to all his wise men and all the people who could tell him what the dream meant, but no one could help him. And then the servant remembered Joseph. And he said, there was this man in prison who told me what my dream meant. Maybe he could help. So the king had Joseph brought from prison. 
And he told Joseph his dream. And Joseph said, I can't tell you what your dream means, but God can. Mm -hmm. And so he said, this dream is serious because for seven years, your country is going to have plenty of food. But seven years after that, y'all are going to have famine. And you better store up the food if your people are going to have enough to eat. Mm -hmm. Well, the king heard that and he really sensed the presence of God's spirit on Joseph. So he appointed Joseph to take care of all the feeding program mm -hmm. and store up the food. He just put him, he put him in charge. He ended up being second in charge of all of Egypt. And sure enough, the famine came and they had enough food, but the famine stretched far beyond Egypt. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon, even Joseph's family was affected. And so one day Jacob sent Joseph's brothers over to Egypt, to get some food for them. And would you believe they ended up in front of Joseph? asking for food mm -hmm. and Joseph recognized them but they did not recognize him right. because here he is dressed like an Egyptian and speaking like an Egyptian and um but he didn't reveal himself right away they went back home with their food had to come back a second time and he inquired about their father and their other brothers and Finally, it was more than he could take. His emotions just overcame him. And he was almost to the point of weeping. And he sent the servants out of the room. And he said, I'm Joseph. I'm the one you sold. I didn't die. Ooh, they were afraid when they heard that. <laughs> because they knew Joseph. Mm -hmm. He had the power to give them what they deserved. And that's what they're afraid of. And you know what he said? Don't be afraid. Because what you meant for harm, God meant for good. Mm -hmm. Not just for me and our family, but so that many people could be saved. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he forgave his brothers. And he said, I want you to go back and bring my father and bring your families and live here in Egypt till this famine is over. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happened. And that's how Joseph's family ended up surviving there in Egypt. So, I love that story. <laughs> love that I, story. Wow. How did, how did the people respond? I remember one young man who heard that. He said, I didn't know we were supposed to forgive people. No one's ever told me that. And he started talking about some difficulties in his family. Mm -hmm. And he didn't know how. He didn't know how to forgive. He didn't even know about it. So it was so cool to see that, y'all, to see God's stories explain who God is rather than right. definitions is really powerful. Uh, where are the people? Where? Where? They live up and down the Andes Mountains. Okay. Mm. So all, all down through South America. Mm. But it was just cool to get to tell people who'd never heard the stories, the stories. Wow. You know, you're, you're telling mm -hmm. them about Moses. And I remember one guy said, do you think they're really going to make it to the promised land? <laughs> no. And one of the other people said, well, of course, God already said they're, they're going to make it. It was, it's really exciting. I, I feel privileged to have all those years there. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> okay. So this is, so you're in Bolivia 
God shifted. You learned a different language. Story is increasing in your life and how you do ministry. Where, where did God take you after South America? We really did love the story. And, but, you know, Bolivia only had about three or four languages okay. and um, main languages. And all of those languages had scripture. And we heard about a project that was going to be starting to take young adult teams of American young people uh, to go work around the world in cultures that or in countries that had many languages that had no written scripture. Mm-hmm. And the task was going to be to get the stories recorded in those languages without scripture, kind of like a starter set for the Bible, you know? Um, and in across South Asia, there were, there were hundreds of languages that still didn't have scripture, hundreds. To this day, there's still that many. I mean, you know, we've got stories in a lot of languages, but there's still a lot of people that, yeah, they could, they could go hear the stories. They can go read the Bible in another language if they can read, but not in the language they speak in their home. Sure. And uh, that, you know, that's hard. So when we heard about that, we were already sensing like maybe it was time to move on. We just didn't know what. So when we heard about that, we talked to the people who were in charge and finally we said, okay, we want to do that. Uh, where will it be? And so when they told us <laughs> we'd be moving to a city of like 26 million people wow. and we've been living, yeah, you know, we've been living in a country that only had 8 million in the whole country. So <laughs> Thomas, Thomas and I, we just both took a deep breath and we talked and we said, you know, mm. I've really enjoyed everywhere we've lived. Why would this be any different? So we talked to our kids and they were middle schoolers by now. And we, you know, should we do this? Should we not? We said, yes, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So we moved to India to tell stories. Wow. uh, (laughs) You you know, we keep, I keep thinking I grew up, um, my parents took me to church. I loved stories. I know we talked about this, um, Jeanette. I loved Old Testament stories. And mm-hmm. um, I, um, I put them together um, at an early age that this was one big story. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my goodness, this is connected to this and this is connected to this. And I can't imagine not knowing the stories from the Bible mm-hmm. growing up. I, I, what you got to do, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. that is just amazing. And then I'm just blown away. I mean, I knew your story, but just how God worked in your heart through story and how he works through everybody through story is just, mm-hmm. it's just messing with me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He's, God's good. Wow. So get this, we're in India. And I get to teach a lot of other people how to tell stories by this time. Because we're responsible for a lot of the young adult volunteers who are coming out. They come out for, you know, two or three years sometimes to work. And we're doing lots of mentoring and training. And one time there were some ladies uh, they were in their 20s, and they were waiting for a visa to a neighboring country. And so they'd come over, and I'd feed them and um, teach them stories. 
Well, one day these three young women had come over and one, you know, I was just meeting one of them for the first time and she told me her last name. And I said, Oh, that just brings back such sweet memories. I had a friend, my very first mentor, when I went to South Dakota, my first missions mentor had your last name. Her name was Malia. <laughs> and this young lady said, that's my mom. And uh, <laughs> so it's just so cool to see wow. God just kind of work full circle. Wow. And uh, I got to do a little payback, you know, because she was so good to me and I got to be good to her daughter. Oh, mm. And uh, so... We were just always having, getting to tell the stories and train other people to tell the stories. Um, there was another time I was, we had a, a group of new arrivals just come from the America and um, they were learning stories. And when they'd go out walking in parks and stuff, they'd tell people. And there was, we were doing our training in an office and there was a young woman in the office and she did some office work, but she also swept the floors and did a little cleaning and she's a really sweet young woman and she was a believer, an Indian believer, but her family was Hindu. Okay. And she was kind of afraid. She was in her twenties and, and we were all kind of afraid that her family might marry her off to a Hindu man, sure. uh, you know, an arranged marriage. And so we'd all kind of been praying that God would just provide her mm-hmm. a Christian spouse. Mm-hmm. And so since these young women were learning stories, one of they had learned the story of how Isaac gets a bride, and I said, "Y'all should learn that story and tell uh, Sandia here in the office because I bet that would really encourage her about this spouse." Mm. And so um, you may know the story, but this this one is in Abraham's life. So Abraham, you know, he had his son when he was already really old. So he was getting close to death, and he said, "I've got to find a bride for my husband." So, I mean, not a bride for my husband, a bride for my son, Isaac. And um, so he called his servant, his most trusted servant. And he said, I want you to go to my homeland to find a bride for Isaac because I don't, I don't want him to marry one of the women from here. I really want him to marry someone from our tribe. So the servant agreed to do this task for his master. He loaded up the camels full of gifts and began the journey back to where Abraham came from. When he got nearby, he stopped at a well that was outside of the village. And he again stopped there and he prayed and dedicated the purpose of his trip to the Lord. And then he just kind of said to the Lord, I'm going to. I'm going to ask for water from one of these young women later. And if it's the one you would have for Isaac, then let her offer to water the camels too. Mm -hmm. So it got to be evening time and it was when the young women of the village would come out to gather the water for the town. And and there was a young woman that came and she was really perfect for Isaac. And um, the servant Mm -hmm. spoke to her. He said, could you bring me some water? And she agreed to. And after he finished drinking the water, she said, would you like me to draw some water for your camels too? And he knew that this was the bride. And so he gave her rings for fingers and bracelets and uh, told her the story of Abraham and Isaac and how he had come to be there. And and when she heard the story, she said, I'm from that family. And so she went home to tell her family what had just happened. And her brother came out to see what in the world was going on and invited this servant back to the house. And of course, 
that evening, all kind of the negotiations took place and it was agreed Mm -hmm. that Rebecca would return with the servant to marry Isaac. And so that was the story, the sweet story of how God provided a spouse for Isaac, you know, through the prayers of the father and the servant. I just, I just knew this young lady would be excited about the story. Wow. Instead, when we said, what did you like about the story? She said, isn't it amazing how this servant was so trusted to do such a big task for the master? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was so humbled. I was almost embarrassed. Like, who was I to think that I could know what God was going to do in the heart of somebody else through his word? Wow. Oh. Wow. Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, that that was more than I dreamed. Wow. It, it just it just showed me again that, that God's gonna do his thing. Yeah. And uh we just really kind of better get out of the way because he's gonna do it yeah. better than we do it. Yes. And you know what? It took about seven more years that that young woman married a really sweet Christian man. Oh, praise the very Oh. Yeah, and that mean? Praise the Lord. Wow. <laughs> we, had another, we, we had another group of people that came over to, to we, were, we were teaching them a whole bunch of stories, like in a row, in order, <laughs> so they'd know the big story. Mm-hmm. And um, they would go out every week and tell the stories to other people, mm-hmm. except for these two young women who kept repeating the same story over and over every week. We'd say, what story did you tell? And instead of telling the last one we learned, they'd say, oh, we told the bleeding woman again. And finally, it's just like, why do they keep telling that story over again? Because, uh, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but it wasn't, you know, that story's never been that special to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, it's a story where the woman is in the crowd when Jesus was teaching. And this poor woman, she had been bleeding for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And even though she'd been to doctor after doctor, she hadn't gotten any better. She'd spent all of her money and only gotten worse. And here she was in that crowd and she thought, if I can just push through this crowd to get up to Jesus and touch the edge of his clothes, I'll be well. And she did. She finally pushed her way through and right then she knew she was healed. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jesus knew too that his healing power had gone to help someone. He was looking around and his disciples, he, he asked them, who touched me? And they said, Jesus, look at all these people. How can we know? But the woman knew they were talking about her. And finally she came and she just fell at his feet, y'all. And she told him her story. And he Mm. said, daughter, go in peace because your faith has made you well and your suffering is finished. Wow. So, you know, it is a good story. It's not that great to tell every week. And so I finally... (laughs) I finally went to my I went to my Hindu friend and I said, What's the deal with this story? Why is everyone like it? And she said, Well, Danette, she goes, A lot of people here are really poor mm-hmm. and they most people know someone who's been bleeding a long time. It just mm-hmm. is not uncommon. And I said, Hmm, yeah, because what do we do? We go to the doctor, we take care of that. Right. But not everybody can. And so they got that part. And she said, and and really, Danette, we know that Genders aren't equal here. And so the fact that this woman could 
would touch Jesus and then Jesus would hear her story and pay attention to her. He was a holy man. That doesn't happen here. Women don't have access. Wow. So that means something. Mm. So, you know, I'm just, it's just like washing over me now. And then she said, she goes, and honestly, Danette, Hindus and, and Muslims, if they can't, women can't worship when they're bleeding because they're unclean. Right. Because mm. it's like, you know, the laws of the Old Testament mm. and we're still in place <laughs> for these other world religions. And I somehow didn't know all that. Mm. So, she, so I said, you mean the people in her community would know that she, mm-hmm. yeah, they said, yeah, she wouldn't have been able to worship for 12 years. So everybody would know. Wow. Uh, and it's like, and again, y'all, I got to see God's word through the eyes of other people. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's just so much richer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They didn't need a commentary to get it. Wow. 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 <laughs> I, um, it just makes me think of, um, I have a friend that I, I have a, another podcast that I listen to, and she often asks, what do you know about God that I don't know? Ooh, that's a good question. And mm-hmm. I feel like so many times you've shared with us the things that God was like, but this is what I was doing. But this is what I was doing. Um, where just now you're like, I got to see God's words through the eyes of other people. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, 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 wow. Mm-hmm. And just how alive the story is. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that God used the story in such amazing ways mm-hmm. um, in a culture for the first time that heard the story. Mm-hmm. How how the the listeners it were affected by it so much it it just it it's it's really changing my world <laughs> wow. wow so the listeners were affected but i I never tell a story without changing a little bit because of it yes. wow and and I think. But the privilege of of doing stories with people who aren't like me, mm-hmm. I guess that's one of the things that's kind of rocked me a little bit living in America is, you know, I end up like in Bible study with people who are like me. Okay. A lot of, and that, and I don't mind that, but um, there's just a layer, mm-hmm. you know, that's missing. Mm-hmm. I think especially on Sunday mornings here. <laughs> How... <laughs> I know in culture, story is just, it's everywhere. You know, that's just, that's how life just continues and how people relate to one another is with through story. Mm-hmm. Western culture, that's not really our jam. But what I'm seeing is it, that it really is. Um, I think that's why um, She Speaks Stories is so important is because people are just gravitating to, oh, there is someone else like me. Or there's someone who's doing something that I would want to do. How have you seen that play out in American culture? Because you're you're back in the United States. Yes. 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 <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> and you know, I'm not sad to be here. It's it's just 
um, it was scary to come back wow. after you spend that many years overseas. Okay. The last story we taught in our church, and our church in, in Delhi had 40 nationalities. How cool mm-hmm. is it to worship with people from 40 countries? Wow. Um, and, but we had a chance to teach a small group the story of Jesus calming the storm. Mm-hmm. And um, you know the story when the, the storm comes and Jesus is asleep and they wake him up mm-hmm. and he tells the storm to be quiet. Mm-hmm. And it is. And he asks them, why are you afraid? Mm-hmm. And I remember this was like just a couple of weeks before we left to come back to America. And I was just thinking, oh, Jesus is in the boat. Now, I've told this story a lot of times because mm-hmm. it's a really easy one to teach others. But I walked away that day saying, Jesus is in my boat. Oh. And, um, <laughs> and he'd been wow. in the boat the whole time. And, yes. And yes. he was going to go back to America with me. <laughs> yes. Oh. And I so the story just. I just wow. that story for that ride back to America. Yeah. Oh. And um, the first six months, you know, I'm so, I'm so thankful we were here. Um, my, my father passed away during those, those first six months. Um, a little bit after that, my son got married. Mm. And we were here for all these markers. Sure. Um, we were reestablishing relationships with family who'd been apart for so long. Um, we started in Texas, but um, things just didn't settle for us there. We were looking for work and nothing happened. And so we said, okay, if we're going to do like boring work the rest of our lives, um, <laughs> let's, let's go live somewhere beautiful closer to our children. Okay. So we, we moved to the mountains mm. and uh, Roanoke, Virginia is mm. beautiful here. And so, you know, get to, get to hike every weekend, see our yeah. kids now and then and, yeah. And for our first year or so here, we, we didn't really find satisfying work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we worked and tried to get our life on the ground, tried to begin looking forward and not backward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh, um, that's good. you know, it took a couple of years mm-hmm. to, to get our feet on the ground. One of my kids, he, uh, he got me set up to do freelance writing mm-hmm. on a website that it's, it's a, that connects freelancers with clients. And one day, y'all, I just, sometimes I was wondering, is God really going to let me do what I love? I got this job request for a writing assignment from a lady in Australia. (laughs) And she said, could you write some leadership curriculum for people who are, who learn more through stories? (gasps) (laughs) She said they're, they're Aboriginal people and the government needs to be able to check to make sure we're not trying to change their culture. And so it's like, this is just out of the blue. I didn't even bid for the job. And it's, it's almost like God was saying, Danette, I'm going to let you use your gift. Wow. Rest a little bit longer. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Isn't that cool? It is really cool. Say that again. I'm going to let you use your gifts. Just rest a little longer. Is that what you said? Yeah. And, and I wasn't, you know, I was working, but it's like, I wasn't, it was, you know, it was that thing I was trying to work it myself again. Sure. Yeah. Um, the way I can tend to do when, and, and that was just showing me that God was going to provide what we needed. Amen. Mm-hmm. And, and sure enough, mm-hmm. there I was in that job that, I, that was not for me. And, um, 
But I was making some wonderful friends there that are still my friends. That's the cool thing. So even yeah. though maybe the job wasn't for me, those those friends were. And um, but then I started getting some calls, you know, just out of the blue. A friend from Texas called me. He said, Danette, I'm starting a consulting company, and I need a credentialed coach to get this thing off the ground. He said, are you in? And I thought, oh, sure, why not? So, you know, that's one of the main pieces of my employment now, getting to mentor young leaders. Wow. You know, another friend works in Atlanta for Life Shape. It's one of uh, the foundation connected to Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. And he said, we need some, we need some training to help uh, Chick-fil-A owners be able to really cross cultures well when they're doing leadership development. Yeah. Can you help me with that? And it's like, well, sure, I can yeah. do that. Wow. <laughs> and so, you know, and then I was, um, you know, they called me from Liberty and they needed some help on the storing class. And so I get to go over there and teach a couple times a semester so that the next generation of storytellers, you know, be out there. Wow. Um, and just all the pieces were falling into place. Um Church was a little harder because, like I said, it was, it felt, we did, we felt lonely at church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we shouldn't feel lonely at church, yeah. but we really did. And, um, but about that time, I'd been asked to write that Refugees of the Bible, mm-hmm. Bible, Bible study for this missions magazine. Mm-hmm. So I was just going through, you know, the stories of God's people who were nomads and foreigners and, displaced people God's people got displaced a lot mm-hmm. and uh I was calling some of my friends you know who did rep work with refugees around America and interviewing them for a little piece and it was a part of the study and there was a couple here in Roanoke who worked with refugees and so I interviewed them and it was a couple in their 70s oh they're so cool oh wow <laughs> so I started volunteering with refugees and pretty soon refugees started coming to know Jesus so they just started the church Oh. And uh, <laughs> wow. so we were still we were visiting churches trying to find our place. And about the time I finished that Bible study, I said, "Thomas, I just think we need to go to church with the refugees." Mm-hmm. And um, mm. so he said, "Sounds good to me. Let's go." And so uh. off we went. And about this time, the Indian guy who'd been leading their adult Bible study was unable to come anymore. And so Thomas just stepped right in. Wow. He starts telling him the story, starting in Genesis. Come on. So every Sunday, you know, I get to hear a story, and then they act it out just to make sure everybody understands it because all of them have English as a second language. Sure. And then we talk about it. And, you uh-huh. know, that's, I remember when they heard this story of Joseph, one of the ladies in the discussion, she said, you know, we've been through hard things kind of like Joseph. Wow. And she said, and, and God's with us too. Mm. So here I am, y'all in Roanoke, getting to see mm. God's stories through the eyes of other people again. And it makes me really happy. Oh. <clears throat> you got me over here. <laughs> I know. I know. Me too. So, uh, oh, I did Yeah. Um, can you tell um, our listeners about your supper club? <laughs> yeah, you know those ladies from my work. That I have those women from my work. I love them. There, there were. There's a group of uh, ten of us. It was those women and me and our husbands, okay. and we meet for a supper club every couple months. 
And we we had started going to find food from other countries because a lot of people live in Rondo from all over the world, believe it or not. And, um, you know, a friend of mine has a translation business and she she provides services for 40 languages <laughs> right here in this town. Wow. So we were... We were looking for the food, and pretty soon these ladies at work said, "Will you take us to eat that food you eat all the time?" Well, you know, sure. It's, it's out on Williamson Road, and she's. They said, "Well, we never go to Williamson Road," and <laughs> I began to. Of course, they don't. And so I said, "Sure." So we started going, and now that they are asking, "Where are we going to go next?" And every time my husband and I, we meet the owners ahead of time. It's usually immigrant-run restaurants, and we hear their story mm-hmm. of, of how they came to be here. And then when we bring our friends back, yeah. then we just grab that owner and we ask them a few questions, and pretty soon they're getting to hear his story, too. Wow. And um, we just eat our way around the world right here in our town. Oh, it's a, a lot of fun. What a practical way to engage with other people and other cultures yes. in, in a non-threatening way. Yeah, over food and then story. Those mm-hmm. are. It's I'm, good. I'm holding. I'm holding back because I could just go and preach right now, but I'm not. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you just come out here to Roanoke, and I'll take you to meet, eat some really good food. <laughs> that sounds uh, good, really. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, probably the coolest thing we're getting to be involved in right now is uh, one of the volunteers with the refugee. For years, he's heard these young people say, I'd really love to go back mm. and tell my people about Jesus. Mm. And so this guy has started a school of missions on Saturday night. Wow. And uh, he asked <sighs> Thomas and I to help. And I said, we don't have anything to do on Saturday night. And so wow. we signed up and a bunch of other people signed up. And he's running this school of missions through May. And at mm-hmm. the end, he's planning to send some of these young adult missionaries on a mission trip. Wow. And, uh, oh, y'all. So he's raising funds for their citizenship and the mission trip. And we're meeting with these kids every, they're in their 20s, early 20s. And um, mm. we, we we started with the biblical basis of missions. Mm-hmm. And we're moving into leadership and missions. And we're going to teach them how to tell the Bible stories. Right. And we're coming in and teach them about um you know, compassion work and working with children and, and music and worship and all the cool things that go with wow. mission work, these young people, mm. all because of this vision of this guy. Isn't that cool? That is so cool. I love that. <sighs> this, is, this is something that we ask all of our guests. What is the one thing you want us to remember from your story today? You know, Thomas, in the, when he started teaching the, at the School of Missions, he told the story of Jonah. And afterwards, one of the women uh, volunteers came up to me and she said, all my life I've heard that story. And she said, I thought it was a story about Jonah. And she said, but tonight I realized that's a story about God. Wow. And I think... That's what I want you to remember about my story, whether it's my story or the, the story of Abraham or Joseph. Really, it's all God's story. Mm. That's what I want to be a part of. I love, I love that. And something you said very near the beginning when you were first telling us your aha moment, moment about the story. 
as when you said God did this. God, God did this. Mm-hmm. You started with that and you're ending with that. <laughs> and I have to keep saying that to remember, you know, we all do. We're all selfish. Right. It's a God story. Wow. Okay. Well, um, this is the part where Susan would say, I know our listeners are going to want to find you. I know our <laughs> listeners are going to want to know more about what's happening with the school of missions or they want to know more about a supper club and how you can connect in your community. Mm-hmm. They just, they just want to hear from you. How do, how do we actively and efficiently stalk you? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm not that much on social media, but I do have a Facebook account. Okay. Um, so Danette Wiseman High okay. is my Facebook. And, and I remember to put something on there like, you know, once a month. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. It's fine. Well, why don't you um, maybe make a post about uh, your She Speaks Stories interview? And that'll kind of get the conversation going. That'll be okay. And I can imagine that someone's heart is going to be pricked hearing about the school. Absolutely. And that the the gentleman who's leading it, he's raising funds to send these students back to their home country. Mm -hmm. So if, if our listeners wanted to jump on board and do that, how would they, how would they do that? I think the best thing to do would just be to contact me and I could tell them how to. Okay make a donation it's sure. going to be through our little refugee church yeah that is is receiving the funds for them to be able to go y'all fill her messenger oh my god <laughs> this would be so cool <laughs> wouldn't that be just like god to do that though you share your story and then there are multiple hundreds of women who hear it and their hearts are pricked and they were looking for something they were looking for something to invest in and to hold on to. And then they hear the net story. They're like, that's the thing. Right? Because it's God's story, y'all. And yeah. it's not just us. And I I hope too that I don't know. I hope two people will go back and look at the stories of the Bible in mm-hmm. a fresh way. Because they're not just for kids. No. Right. Just for kids, y'all. Man, when you see Kesed, you're gonna have to squeeze her. Because <laughs> He was absolutely right. You are wonderful. And now you're a part of us. You're a part yes. of us. Absolutely. So, absolutely. So thankful. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for sharing God's story with us. Thank oh. y'all. This was, a this was so good. This was so good. This was so good. <laughs> we love you. Love you. Thanks. Love, love y'all too. <laughs> we'll be in touch. All right. Okay. Everybody take care. Bye. Bye. Ha <laughs>